A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Diagnosing the Analytics Gap, all about diagnostic analytics. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Joao Sosa, who's the Director of Growth at Causa AI. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views on this episode. So the four types will be used often throughout this summary. The four types refers to the types of analytics, which is descriptive, kind of what is happening, diagnostic, why is it happening, predictive, what might happen in the future, and prescriptive, what actions should we take based on what we know. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Joao's point of view. Number one, of the four types of analytics, diagnostic analytics is very underserved. The other three, you know, descriptive, predictive, prescriptive, are where most organizations are focusing more. So there's a what he called a quote-unquote diagnostics analytics gap. Number two, potentially controversial. Of the four, diagnostics analytics requires the most domain or business expertise. Number three, tips for improving your diagnostic analytics. A, show the value of drilling down into the why. Find a few use cases and communicate the value well. B, Promote a closer collaboration between data and business people. C, improve your definitions around data roles. D, very clear communication of expectations and who does what. E, don't get into firefighting mode. Have a structured approach to diagnostic analytics. And F, automate the repetitive parts. Number four, There are three levels of diagnostics analytics immaturity. First is getting stuck in the what instead of the why. The second would be the usual suspects, where you look at things from the same angle, same slice and dice, and only leverage a small portion of the data available. And the the third is need for speed, where you have the right data culture of drilling down to the why, but often get stuck in the trade-off between speed and analysis thoroughness. Number five, signals that you are quote-unquote stuck in the what. First, in reviews, teams are just reviewing what happened instead of data-driven recommendations or data-driven hypotheses. The second, you lack impactful stories when asked, What real data-driven insights have you shared recently that drove action? Number six, signals that you are stuck in that usual suspects. 
First, few to no real new major insights or hypotheses. The second, lack of incremental data work, you know, slash no new slices and dices to further analyze data. The third, indirectly, data teams become more disconnected from the business. Number seven, signals you are stuck in need for speed. The first, continuously cutting corners on thorough analysis in the name of speed. And the second, juggling too many tasks or priorities with constant kind of hair on fire type requests. Number eight, culture and people are the biggest levers in data, but the hardest to change. We need better processes and tooling to enable accelerating diagnostic analytics. Tooling and processes specifically for diagnostic analytics are few and far between. Number nine, many companies do not put much and value and or effort into diagnostic analytics. That is pretty highly correlated to analytics maturity. Number 10, diagnostic analytics work can be seen as boring compared to predictive and prescriptive work. You know, that AI, ML, that really cool, fun stuff. It's typically not as technically challenging, and many data people are not as interested in the business aspects. So you do have to really work on your culture to make diagnostic analytics actually work and be a priority. Number 11, potentially controversial, the best teams segment their diagnostic analytical questions into strategic, tactical, and operational. High-performing teams also adjust thoroughness versus speed to best suit the specific need. They also automate as much as possible to reduce burden on the human in the loop. You still have to have that human in the loop, but you want to automate away as much of the, the work that you can as possible. Number 12, this one's very important, I think. Decentralization presents a big potential risk to diagnostic analytics. Analytics within the domain seems covered, but many questions are cross-domain. Number 13, this is a note specifically for me. There isn't a clear owner of diagnostic analytics in data mesh. If domains, you know, know their own data well, they should be able to do diagnostic analytics on information internal to their own domain, but it will be far harder cross-domain. And that is kind of the end state in data mesh, not mid-data mesh journey. Diagnostic analytics likely falls to where you have business analysts, whether that is embedded only, centralized only, or a mix. And finally, number 14, what is the definition of an actual insight? And Joao is taking this from Brent Dykes. First, provide a shift in understanding. And you have to meet all of these, right? The second is something unexpected where the organization was not previously aware. And the third, it's relevant and or aligns to what stakeholders care about. Joao added his fourth uh, criteria for something to be called an actual insight, which is it must be delivered on time and communicated effectively. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Joao Sosa here, who is the director of growth at uh, Causa AI. Um, but to be clear, he's only representing his own views. He's not representing his company. And we're going to be talking about kind of this concept that I hadn't really put a name to as much, but I've been seeing a lot. And so then I saw an article um, from uh, Joao about this, and it, it really kind of resonated with me about kind of the diagnostics analytics gap and, and specifically what he, the article that I, I noticed was like, what actually is an insight? And we just kind of throw that term around a little too, too loosely. And, you know, something I've been talking about a lot, uh, Marisa Fish was the first one that brought this up of being like very specific about 
what information are we actually sharing? Are we sharing raw data? Are we sharing a, this is kind of interesting. Are we sharing a, this is interesting. And so what is this an ongoing insight? Is this a, wow, this was something I just ran across and it might shape your, your thoughts, but it's not something we're tracking in the long run and getting specific around that. So I thought it was really, really an interesting, um, thing to, to really dig into. And so I, I reached out and, and I'm excited about kind of learning more about uh, Joao's view on this and kind of how that all works. But before we, we get to that, uh, Joao, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, sure, Scott. Thanks. First of all, thanks for having me. Really excited for this conversation as well. So uh, in a nutshell, a bit about myself. So I'm an industrial engineering by training, started my career in data analytics as a data practitioner, so both data analyst and data scientist. After some time, I felt like I'm, I'm do, I was doing interesting like, job and work, but I wanted to learn more about the business side of things. So back then, I actually transitioned into strategy consulting at McKinsey, a company where I worked across a wide range of industries and business functions, but with a focus on, on data analytics. And then after some time, I wanted to go back to the data analytics world. So I embraced this, this journey at Causa, and that's exactly addressing this diagnostic analytics gap. And yeah, I've been working on everything go to market and very closely with our customers. So, and, and I think that's probably the best place to start because I think when we were doing our, our pre-call, we were talking about this of that you think that everything kind of wraps underneath this of like, why don't you start off with what is diagnostics analytics, right? Like what, what does that actually mean? And then we can talk about the gap. Like what, where, where are people missing? Why aren't people um, having this? And we can talk about, you know, do people really even realize that they have, that they've got this gap and everything like that? But let's start with kind of the definition of what, what do you mean when you say diagnostic analytics? Sure. So when we look at the, the four types of analytics, so we have descriptive analytics uh, explaining what is happening, diagnostic analytics, so why did it happen, predictive analytics, what may happen in the future, and the last one is prescriptive analytics, so what actions to take, so prescribe something. And when we look at these four types of analytics, I would say first there is a clear distinction between the first two and the last two. So typically, predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics are owned by data science teams that develop these data products uh, with clear processes and outputs, clear, like very typical common examples, forecasting models, recommendation systems. And these products can be either like for internal consumers, so business teams, or also sometimes for like external, so for the end user, right? And so these are typically very clear in terms of people, tools, processes, and, and how these are handled among organizations. Now, when we look at descriptive and, and diagnostic analytics, uh, here it's where more like the analytics teams focus on and spend most of their time on. And when we look at descriptive analytics, there are more or less clear uh, processes, tools. So data teams try to enable descriptive analytics through dashboards. And it's mostly based on self-service. And th there is this culture of enabling the stakeholders to easily understand what's happening. So what's happening with the key metrics or so monitor these key metrics and understand what's happening. Now, when we look at diagnostic analytics, the situation is a bit more challenging and tricky for various reasons among these four elements, so people, tools, processes, and culture. First, uh, just to highlight a few, and then happy to, to dig deeper into each one of these dimensions. So on the people side of things, diagnostic analytics, on the one hand, requires analytical skills and technical skills, but also strong domain and business expertise to connect the dots with the business. And so, okay, we see this in the data. We basically narrow down the change to these subgroups, but then we also need to connect the dots to what's happening in the business. So I would say out of the four is the one that requ that requires like most business and domain expertise to some extent, and also like the analytical skills need to be there. So this is something very unique to diagnostic analytics. Then in terms of tools, um, that is also not a clear um, tools or processes are how to approach. So dashboards are, are useful to kind of understand what's going on and also explore a bit, but typically are not enough for comprehensive root cause analysis for comprehensive diagnostic analytics. And also in terms of process and culture, based on my experience, I've seen very different types of processes as to how to approach this type of, this type of questions. And the way business and data teams perceive diagnostic analytics and its value also varies significantly across companies depending on their data maturity. 
and this is actually something I've I've been also exploring with in among like with many conversations with business and data teams. So when we mean when I mean the diagnostic analytics gap, I mean the fact that many organizations have plenty of dashboards and understand what's happening, but struggle to connect the dots between data and business to understand why did it happen. And the reason why this is so relevant is like, and here tying back to your point about what is a real insight, just describing what's happening or just showing on dashboards what's happening, it's informative, but not insightful, right? So it's information, but not insight. Business stakeholders really need to understand what drives their key metrics and why they are changing to make better decisions. And that's why diagnostic analytics is so important. And when we see teams struggling to understand why metrics are changing, what actions should we take to improve these metrics? This is what we refer to as as a diagnostic analytics gap. And when you think about, so when you think about the way most people do analytics, it is, there is somewhat of a handoff here, right? Like data mesh tries to, to make it so that there isn't nearly as much of a handoff between teams because handoffs create friction and you lose context and all of that stuff. But kind of what you're talking about there of, the why, like, why is this happening, right? Literally, you said, you know, diagnostic, diagnostic is just, why did it happen? And how much of that is qualitative versus quantitative? Because a lot of what we're looking at is quantitative numbers, right? You know, and it isn't that qualitative. So you have to mix in the qualitative, but can, like, how far does does somebody have to go in that handoff, in that analytics, right? Whose job is it to say, okay, why did this happen? Okay, is it my job to look into here are the factors and I hand over the factors and somebody puts them together? Or is it my job as the analytics team or embedded team or whatever, right? Uh, you know, data mesh, it's a little bit more clear around that within a domain that the domain right. should be able to, to say like, why is this happening and what should we do about it? But the second you start to go cross domain, then again, you're screwed, right? Like this is, right. this is a, a question I keep having about data mesh is most of these questions are not within a single domain. They're cross domain. So who like, uh, this is where I, I start to, to, to kind of spiral into the okay, but I don't even understand how you could begin to solve this. So why don't you walk me through a bit about what have you seen? Like, what what have you seen are the ways that maybe teams do this really wrong? Is it just they ignore it? Or is it that they try and do it and they try and do it only in the quantitative, in the in a dashboardy type way of, of trying to explain the why in a dashboard instead of let's have that conversation. And then we can get into proactive versus reactive and all, all this fun right. stuff. Like where, where have you seen teams try to do this? And maybe like, what are the ways that you've seen where people have tried it and it doesn't seem to go that well? These are great questions, Scott. And I think I've seen three types of situations depending on like the analytics maturity. So let me start with the most basic one and then uh, progress towards the most advanced one or the most mature one. So uh, I actually coined these like the, the, the states of diagnostic analytics. And the first one, um, I, I coined it um, stuck in the what. So this is when um, analytics teams build dashboards uh, to enable the business and then kind of self-service also diagnostic analytics. So business stakeholders are the ones trying to understand why things are, are changing. And what happens in practice is teams end up just describing what's happening in the business. So they have these weekly or monthly reviews where they say, okay, conversion rate is going down. And they just, just on a high level connect with what's happening in the business, but without testing on the data. So for instance, we launched a new website version. So that's why conversion went down. They see on a dashboard conversion is going down and then they connect with some hypotheses like business-led hypotheses without really testing on the data. So this is kind of the most... Um, like the, the starting point for many organizations. Uh, so that's why I, I can't stuck in the what. Then the second level, um, I can't the usual suspects. So here it's when business and data teams um, basically define two, three, or four usual suspects. So the most uh, important factors that typically explain a like metric change. So for instance, if you're talking about return on ad spend, we can have the split by geography, uh, channel, 
and uh, campaign type or something relevant. So the typical, usual, the most relevant factors. And here what happens is uh, teams build these dashboards with these slices and dices, and then the business just focus on these usual suspects. So it's great to see hints and how these factors vary over time and get some and get some hypotheses, but typically teams miss out on big opportunities because they're just analyzing a small portion of the data and they never go, they typically don't go deeper. So even if they see a change in, for instance, the marketing mix, so the, the like the, the share among the different marketing channels and they see a variation in these, they typically don't go deeper and they just, just stay on this high level. And so they typically miss out on opportunities, but it's still a bit more advanced than the first state. Then the third state, it's what I call the need for speed. So here teams typically collaborate more. So it's already like they have these domains that you mentioned, or for instance, the mark, they have specific marketing analysts, so data analysts embedded in the marketing team as an, as one example. And here teams are really trying to drill down. So testing all the different combinations, trying to narrow down the change to the most relevant subgroups. And then since they are already embedded in the business, connecting with uh, with what's going on in the business and collaborate partner very closely with the business stakeholders to try to really um, understand why things are changing, what we can do to improve them. So this is the need for speed because typically when teams want to do a comprehensive analysis, they get stuck a bit in what I call the speed comprehensiveness trade-off. So doing finding a real insight, finding something actionable, granular that the business can act on requires time. And on the other hand, the business requires or expects quick answers, right? Businesses are, are, are changing faster than ever. No one wants to wait days or weeks for insights. Depends, right? But in general. So this is like the third state where teams uh, are, they already have the data culture. They know the value of drilling down to the why. And in some use cases, especially the most, the, the fast changing ones, they get a bit stuck sometimes in this speed comprehensiveness trade off. This is what I've been, I've been seeing. Yeah, and I think that's the. I think especially that last one is 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 a good thing to dig into into the. Okay, what do we do now? And I think part of the thing with data mesh is that, presumably with data mesh, that the data, if you're doing the right things, hopefully the data will be there to make the the analytical deep dive. But exactly what you're talking about of, okay, well you just brought a, a problem to me and you didn't bring a solution, so screw you like what <laughs> but let, let's start with that that basic the stuck in the what right i think this is really i think what you just pointed to with that especially of the trying to do the self-service with the diagnostic is really really interesting because i i, I understand that right this is the problem where the where I think self-service, a lot of people have talked about how self-service is a double-edged sword, right? Self-service is great if somebody can get can get to the information to understand the what, and then they have the capability to, to dig in further. But do you need a lot of analytical capability to dig in further, or do you just need the, um, the domain aspect. And I think it, it's typically you need both. And so then you kind of have the people that have the analytics capabilities are like, but yeah, we can do, we can do the what. And then the people who are uh, the business people are like, well, we can't even really do the, the advanced capabilities. So we just, again, keep getting to the, what is the challenge or here's, here's something that's, that's interesting, but non-actionable. So like, right. How have you seen teams move past that? Is that upskilling of people? Is that trying to move past? Is that like significantly bifurcating? Like who who does the the diagnostic analytics in, in that where you've seen that it works? Is it that it's the um, domain teams and you upskill them to do data? Because a lot of people that have come on here have said, I don't know if you've ever tried to to teach the data people business. But it doesn't work very well most of the time. <laughs> like that's, that's a big, big challenge. So, like, is it something where you, the, you know, people end up saying, "Okay, I need to hire externally and and you know hire out or or pay for a consultant or whatever or build up their team?" Or how have you found people like kind of stuck in that? Do they realize it? And what are the signs of that? And and how do they start to move past it? Great question. I've seen two types of situations depending on the initial data culture status. 
Situation number one is when the business does not have, um, are still developing the data culture. So it's not that in terms of data culture. And it's the responsibility of the analytics teams to show the value of drilling down to the why. And here what I've seen is uh, analytics teams picking two or three use cases where they see a lot of potential value in the why. And then partnering closely with the business stakeholders. So for instance, embedding a couple of analysts into these specific domains or business functions to then these analysts start to drilling down into the why and showing the value of drilling down to the why and also improving the data culture along this journey. This is the first situation. The second situation when the business stakeholders and the business in general already understands the value of drilling down to the why and it's just like there's just a skill set gap but they know the value. Here I've seen some teams trying to upskill the business folks so that they become more familiar with with some tools and some approaches to root cause analysis to try to really enable them to perform these root root cause analysis on on a daily or weekly basis. So for instance, I've seen these in a couple of mobile gaming companies that are typically very data-driven. And here, for instance, the, the marketing managers or the user acquisition managers are owning diagnostic analytics uh, themselves. So I, I would say it depends on the starting point and on the data culture and data literacy of the organization. So I've seen these two types of situations. And if I'm in that mode, like if I'm a company who's like, hey, our analytics isn't doing what we need it to do, like how do I identify that this is that my my issue is the diagnostics gap versus the issue is we don't know how to do any analytics versus like the right. like what are the what are the warning signals that you're you know you even before like if you're at that basic level if you're stuck in the what 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 are the warning signals that you're there is it just that these questions keep coming up and then I'd I'd like to transition that as well into and we can wrap it in later or here but like again that question of are we feeding the why out to the broader organization or how does this tie in when you think about things that aren't just in the marketing domain, right? When something is what's actually causing this bigger challenge, why aren't we close? Why are our deal cycles expanding? Is it because we're actually intersecting with somebody earlier? And so we're, we need to hold that in as a marketing lead earlier and not release it to sales because if we release it to sales, then they're spending a lot more cycles because it they're just not ready, but we're actually intersecting with them early or whatever. But like, let's start with the, like identifying that you are stuck in the, in the what, like what, what, what are the, the warning signals there? Great question. So I've seen, I've seen two or three main symptoms or, or signals or warnings. One of them is the weekly or monthly reviews. It's all about the what. So teams, I, I hear this quite often. So teams are s- sitting there and just looking at dashboards and describing what's happening without any like clear recommendations that are data-driven or hypotheses that are data-driven as to why this happened and what we should do about it. So this sounds like, yeah, conversions rates are going down, metric X is going up. It's probably because we tested these. It's probably because we launched XYZ. It's probably because we changed the website. It's probably because uh, our competitors did X, but all very high level hypotheses that the business has and no clear data input as to why things are happening. This is a very clear one. A second one I often hear is, and I always like to ask this, is taking a step back in the last six months, what real data-driven insights have your, has your team shared that drove action? So what are some of the insights that, you know, your business team got, your business stakeholders got, or your analytics team shared that actually drove an action? And if you're just stuck in the what, you you won't have very powerful stories to share as to as to real insights that that your team developed. Um, these, are, these, I would say, are the most common symptoms, especially the, the first one on the weekly or monthly reviews. Yeah, I think exactly, like, this again was where uh, Marisa really shaped my thinking of when you have an exchange of information, are you exchanging the data for somebody to create their own, uh, like even the, the, the what or not even the why, but like, are you just giving them information and then they're expected? That's kind of the self-serve of, okay, right. now you get to dig into this. Or are you giving them the, like, what actually is happening? What is the thing? And maybe the why 
or are you giving them the the what the why and the the so what right like right. what what should be your action and so many times what the 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 data consumers want is the what the why and the so what and so many times what the analytics people provide is at most the uh, here is the the data to create your own insights and maybe it might be the what but we aren't getting to that why and the so what and that that's that's it's funny how much of this is just like be explicit about what (laughs) how you why you're trying to interact and change these information so um so and i can't remember off the top of my head because i I just flipped over my page but what was the intermediate that was the usual suspects what what are the the things that are some signs of that? I think there are probably some pretty easy signs of, are you just looking at the same (laughs) slice and dice every time and you're just trying to do, but like a lot of times you don't necessarily remember or don't know that you're uh, doing a bad pattern. So like from an external perspective, what is the signal for that? Or what, what should somebody test internally if they're like, if they're stuck in that usual suspects mode? Yeah, this state, I would say it's actually the most tricky because it lacks obvious symptoms. The data teams typically believe they are self-serving diagnostic analytics, so they have these dashboards and they are not getting requests or questions from the business. Whereas the business folks are testing the usual suspects, validating or rejecting existing hypotheses, so they don't come up with new insights or real insights or additional hypotheses. They're just validating or rejecting existing hypotheses based on these usual suspects. So they also feel like they're doing fine. Having said this, this state is very dangerous because it really undermines the data culture because teams are only really validating or rejecting already existing hypotheses, not uncovering something new and and just analyzing a small portion of the data. And here, I think the, the symptoms are mainly three. So first one is what you exactly what you mentioned. So the business just looks at these available slices and dices and all the insights are related with these available slices and dice and then connecting with high-level hypotheses, but never also very, never like really deep or granular or actionable. This is the first one. The second symptom is um, there is an absence or a lack of new insights, new hypotheses. So the business gets stuck with already existing hypotheses. So the marketing mix changes or... Um, it's due to competition and they test a bit, the com- like they look at some competitors' data, but they don't come up with something new, something unexpected. So they don't really uncover new insights. They just stick with the hypothesis and keep testing them. That's, that's I think, it's also a very, a very strong symptom. Um, and I think a third indirect symptom is data teams typically get more and more disconnected from the business. The reason being, in the first and third states, the data teams get a lot of questions from the business and engage in conversations, discussions, why is this happening, what should we do about it? Whereas in the second state, since they believe they are completely self-serving, this typically widens the gap between business and data. The reason being, the data teams are not even aware that this is a problem. They think they are self-serving these and they are focusing, they, they focus on something else. So I think this is typically a very strong symptom is this this stronger disconnect between data and business teams in these second states. And within data mesh, there's kind of this concept of the data team goes away. And I think it's the central central data team instead of the embedded in the domain data team kind of aspect. But like, uh, to me, that is, is a really, really big potential issue of um, if your focus in data mesh isn't in analyzing your own domain and then sharing some of that insights, but also for driving your own business and, you know, making sure that that stuff is packaged so other people can use it. It becomes a real, real potential concern because we're so focused on what is the job we are assigned instead of what is the thing we should be doing for the overall business. Right. I like a lot of what you're saying here of it feels like what, what you're kind of pointing at and poking at a lot that is underlying a lot of this is why are you doing business? Not what is the exact thing your role says you should be doing, 
but why are you as an organization existing? Right. And then how are you supporting that? And like, let's get specific. Let's get specific as to what we're actually trying to accomplish in these things. But at the same point, like you have to keep that in mind of the bigger picture. Is that, is that something that you think gets lost in these teams that are getting slightly more advanced? You know, these are the intermediate, right? These are the teams that kind of are, have done a lot of the things right, but they've kind of lost their way in the greater uh, drive towards value. Is that, is that how you think about it too? Or Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think also a big trend I see is um, typically for, for, for data teams and these data, data professionals, they tend to go for shiny things, right? Predictive and prescriptive analytics, it's typically more interesting from a technical standpoint, right? So what we also, what I also see quite often is data, for data teams, this diagnostic analytics work, it's often the boring part, right? Because it's repetitive to some extent. Some of them are a bit disconnected from the business, so they don't see the actual outcome, and yeah, and I think it's also like most of them come from a very technical background and, and they also, they're also passionate about interesting technical challenges, right? And, and predictive and prescriptive offer a lot on that domain. So, so yeah, to your point, I think that's also one of, one of the reasons contributing to this, to this gap. And then the last one that you talked about was the, um, the, where, where essentially, you're trying to go way too fast and you're trying to be like, okay, the, the trade-off between right. actually useful deep insights versus speed. I just want an answer now. And, you know, somewhat in, in the startup world, I, I kind of hate this aspect where there's so much of a focus on try, try and just try and try and try instead of like balancing the long-term and the short-term. What are the signals that you're in that? I mean, I, I feel like they're, they're somewhat obvious, but also maybe there's some stuff that I'm missing there when I'm just thinking of, you know, when people are not doing long-term focus work, they're only on the short term. But yeah, I'd love to dig into that because I think that that is one where I get so frustrated around data mesh is people talking about only going for short-term wins because short-term is small ball, right? Mm-hmm. And and small ball, you know, it's, it's a thing that in baseball, like, can actually win you games and things like that, but you know, it doesn't really win championships. You know, uh, the whole money ball thing with uh, the Oakland A's, they never won a championship, right? It doesn't end up getting you into that long, you know, focusing on the short term versus the long term and the small versus the big and just trying to get two quick wins. So what are the signals first? And then we can get into like, how does that actually damage you? And how does that damage your, your, perception of, of data work as well. Cause I think there's a lot there about not having the right idea of what data work can do for you rather than just, you know, get me the, the 5% better boost every single time instead of let's focus on entering an entirely new market and like doing all right. this big, big, big change thing. So. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the third state, as you mentioned, is the most advanced out of the three and and here, the data culture is already there. Teams know the value of drilling down to the why. But then, as you pointed out, they have to juggle short-term priorities with long-term goals. And then, regardless of the time horizon, but they also, especially for the more short-term things, they the business expects quick answers, right? And then uh, they're always trying to find the balance between comprehensiveness or analysis thoroughness and speed. So here, some of the symptoms are Teams always juggling different types of tasks and trying always to cut corners whenever something is really urgent and more short term, and then going deeper and wider when it's when they have more time, but always trying to juggle between these two. And and then it's always like teams, especially when they're sh- they 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 need to deliver something fast, they always a bit frustrated because they feel like if I would have more time, I could uncover something better, something more actionable, something that could drive better business outcomes, but they're always trying to f- like, yeah, juggle these two. So speed and analysis thoroughness. So I think these are, these are the main, the main symptoms. And these teams at some point start to try to automate part of the process. 
So start to try to automate the repetitive parts so that to kind of reduce or partially eliminate this trade-off between the speed and comprehensiveness. So this is also something something I've I've seen in this state. Do you think that automate that automation is good or bad? And and to me the answer is kind of yes. One one thing that's been kind of circling through my head this whole time was, you know, I I worked as a, a cost manager embedded in an SRE team. And the usual suspects, especially, it was always DNS, right? DNS always somehow had a play <laughs> in, in everything. You know, uh, if you talk to any SRE, the joke, you know, like I, I think I even saw somebody who had a, a, a tattoo who just said, it's always DNS, right? Like, <laughs> and so, like, do you find that that automation then again circles back to the it's the usual suspects and is that like an eliminate is that a bad thing because it's like let's eliminate the usual suspects let's like say is this like most likely the cause and then like getting to unanswer instead of the full right answer and that's valuable but then are you always focused on getting to unanswer instead of the best long term answer and the the right thing and so you never actually get to really make a significant impact because you never, you get to chase down the, the here's 60% of the cause instead of let's really drive and see if there was something deep that's really underlying this, that might be focused on, that might be a, a, a running through thread that's through so many of these different things, right? Like, right. I, I'm just, I'm struggling to see where, because as, as somebody who is a little bit overly focused on the curious, right? Like that's why I do this podcast is that I go out and I, I just talk to a bunch of different people. I just get to be curious and ask questions. And I try and find those running through threads, but the business often doesn't value that. So, right. you know, how do you also balance, sorry, I'm asking way too many questions, but I feel like you, you're, you've thought through this at such a deep level that I can, can layer these on, but like, how do you think about the valued versus valuable, right? Like of when you're in this, um, you know, fast time, the, the balancing, the, the comprehensive versus the, the fast, what's valued is often the fast. It's not right. valued that you have the comprehensive, even if it is valuable, if somebody would leverage it, but they're just not there. So like, how, how do you think about that balance and how, how have you seen companies kind of get past this if you have seen them? Right. So, I mean, to this question about the balance, I think it all comes down to like narrowing down use cases. What I mean by this is I think like, and at the end of the day, an insight is only as valuable as it can drive the right action. And for these, it needs to be on time, right? So if the marketing team like decides their budget every Friday, they need to have these insights every Friday, right? If it's the next Monday, it's already too late. Now, taking a step back, when you look at the kind of business decisions and segmenting them by strategic, tactical, and operational, Typically, the more operational and tactical are more fast-changing, and here speed plays plays a, a critical role, whereas the more strategic ones are less fast-changing, right? So big bets, when you place big bets, you're not placing big bets every day or every week, maybe every month or every year, depends on the business, but here speed is not so important. So when I, what, I, what I see the best teams doing is really segmenting by use cases and then also adjusting their speed and comprehensiveness accordingly. Right? So if you need like for more operational and tactical decisions, Insights need to be on time. And here there's going to be this stress or like the speed is critical, basically. So you need some automation or even augmentation. Uh, so basically automate part of the process. So basically yeah, diagnostic and like with the, always with the human in the loop, but automate part of the process. Whereas then in strategic big decisions or some tactical as well, here it's where I see more room for really going comprehensive, going wide and being very exhaustive. And here it's where I think also the, there is more business value in going really wide and comprehensiveness also to make sure we're not missing out on anything that can be critical in such when, when a company places a big bet. How do you think about in this, um, this is a really, I think a really, really difficult question, but I, I, I'm imagining you've, you've thought through it. How do you think about proactive versus reactive, right? Like, how do you think about, I want to dig into the why before I found out the what? And how do you think about the, okay, we found the what, how quickly do I have to get to a why? And how quickly do I, how comprehensive do I have to be again about that why 
and we say, hey, we, we dug into this. This is a, re- you know, you've got that marketing meeting on Friday. We found this, this thing that's coming up on Thursday. And so I want you to know that the what is here, but we don't have the why. Mm-hmm. And like how much, like I'm even thinking about the number of times where I've had somebody say, you know, and even Jamat kind of talked about this with when she came out with the, the data mesh concept, she said, and, you know, it's kind of a, a jerk move to come and say the emperor has no clothes unless you've got clothes for them, right? To come out and say everything is 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 wrong with the way that we're doing analytics for scale and flexibility and agility. So if that's all she said, people would be like, yeah, we kind of know this. We kind of know analytics in general broken, but... She's like, no, this is the way that I think we should we should take all these these patterns and things and decontextualize them from the operational world and apply them to the analytical. How do you think about that, you know, small scale, large scale from an analytics perspective of this this descriptive or this um, uh, I can't even think of the the diagnostic analytics, right? Mm -hmm. That how do I think how do you think about that of do you bring up <laughs> the things until you understand the why? Is it okay to talk about the what? Is it like, how did, how have you seen this work in practice where it doesn't just become chaos and it doesn't become a, you know, well, you have to drive to this so, so fast to um, get me answers. And so that people don't have that kind of testing ground and that, that huh ground, you know, a little bit of the, let's talk about the descriptive and we don't have the diagnostics at all on this yet, but it's something that we're seeing. And like, how, how have you found that actually work from a process standpoint? That's a great question. I think, and I think it's a journey, right? So if you're probably like, let's say a company is in, in the stuck in the what stage, it will not go from the stuck in the what to the, to the, to the third one, or even the fourth one, the full force, like in a matter of days. And it's a process. Now, to your question, I think, um, and I ho- uh, sometimes also hear this, for instance, the data team starts to look into the data and they have some hypothesis, but then by Friday, let's say the weekly review, it's on Friday, they haven't had the time to test the hypothesis thoroughly and they're, like, they're, they're reflecting, should I raise the hypothesis? I'm not completely sure what I should do. Um, this is definitely a tricky situation. I think as a rule of thumb, the more... We, the data team or, or anyone doing this analysis can share the better, even if they are not fully sure of these, as long as they communicate adequately, right? So I've looked at this, this is my hypothesis. These, um, like, uh, these facts support this hypothesis. I haven't checked X, Y, Z. So this would be like the next step. Uh, and here, I mean, time back to my to my experience as, as management consulting, this is very common, especially for very complex strategic decisions. There's a lot of uncertainty. And I think here, uh, my, my recommendations, what I've been seeing is two things. So first, the more we can deliver, as long as it's well supported and, and, and well thought, the better, even if we cannot explain everything. So even if we just explain, explain part of the why or we just know like where to look further, that's already better than just the what. And then second is adjust the communication accordingly, right? So communicate very clearly uh, the hypothesis, the facts that support and what's still left to be checked. But I think, for instance, time back to our example, because I think it's a very common example, I think it's always better to, to arrive at these Friday meetings with um, not completely tested hypotheses as to why things are happening, what we should do about it. It's better this than just the what. Because at least it drives the data culture, it raises new hypotheses and makes the business think about uh, their metrics, what's driving and how can we optimize things. And as long as these insights are communicated Pro- appropriately, right, with a cert- with the right level of, of certainty. That that was kind of going to be the the underlying through line was that data culture of if right. you don't have a culture where someone can come to you with the we're seeing this and then the person doesn't go well don't tell me unless I know unless you tell me why that's that's a broken culture and right. so you're not ready to be grown up with analytics because. You're not there where you can't have that. Here is something in your, like where you can have these loose threats, right? 
And if people can't have loose threads in their in their mind, then you can't really be data driven because there are certain things where you don't have the answer right now. And there are certain things where you just really can't figure it out. And it's okay that right. you're aware that this is a challenge and you're still like trying to figure out that long run. I think that's I think that's really important. Um part of all of this that you're talking about is um what like how do we actually work together because i think that's again that like self-serve aspect a lot of people have talked how dangerous self-serve is because you give people the ability to find that what and then if they or or they don't even find the right what because they don't really know how to they have data that they can poke at and it and they think that they understand the what but then if you're trying to self-serve the why and they aren't capable of getting to the why themselves or that they're spending all of their time trying to get to the why instead of the operational, like how do you do that? um, That kind of breakdown of who owns what? I think this is a big question still in data mesh of who owns what and why, and and that it's going to be different for every organization. It's going to evolve and we're going to figure out good ways of working, but we're still incredibly early days. And, And so so we talked a, a, a lot about this. I want to get to a couple of the other things that we were planning on talking to. But one, one question that I would have here, a lot of this is kind of, I mean, are you thinking of this as the central analytics team? Because that that doesn't necessarily exist in data mesh. So we'd have to adapt what you're talking about for data mesh. Or do you think of this as, you know, you talked about sometimes people embed analysts into the domains and things like, how do you think about this? not just focusing on the macro, but the, or the micro, the macro, right? The macro of the greater organization, the greater market, the greater, like, especially when you think about a a big, big company, you know, like a consumer packaged goods company that has 200,000 people and, you know, uh, 500,000 different products or whatever. Like, how do you think about that cross, um, cross dimensional, analytics of the the discovering the the um, descriptive and then applying that diagnostic to it mm-hmm. right so I think these so the these challenges apply to both organizational structures and and I think also apply uh, very much to data mesh and I think obviously in a data mesh setting or more decentralized generally speaking um, it facilitates collaboration cross-collaboration between business and data. So in that sense, it helps to partially close this gap. Still, most of the challenges across people, culture, tools, processes remain. So it's definitely a good step. And I mean, every company is, is getting, is mo- or almost every company, most of the companies are getting to this direction, definitely helps. Still, most of the challenges remain. Uh, to your question, uh, in terms of like a big scale, I think, uh, so in terms of a big scale, and now also tying back to your point about specific domains, I think the the collaboration point becomes even more important, especially because many insights come from combining different sources of data, right? So, for instance, combining product with marketing data, and if you only if you have your your people in like the marketing domain just looking at marketing data and completely detached from the product domain, as one example, this will make it really hard also to nail diagnostic, right? Because Lots of the insights, and especially the most valuable ones, lie at the, at the intersection between business functions or domains, right? And I think one danger I see here is getting into these data silos where marketing only looks at marketing data, product at product data. So in that sense, it can also make this, this diagnostic analytics gap even worse in that sense. Depends on how companies approach this. So I think collaboration is key. I think for these, it's essential to have some sort of owners or some stakeholders closing this gap and re- like connecting these dots between the different domains so i think this is this is something this is something critical from a from a people perspective and thinking big from a from a data culture perspective it's essential that either data leaders or business leaders depends really work on data culture to make this a top priority what i mean by this is having for instance, uh, like many companies that are, that are embracing these decentralized or data mesh also have a, a central center of excellence, right? That basically develops best practices, works with the different teams, squads, domains to apply these best practices and, and evolve the data culture. I think this, uh, this diagnostic analytics is core to the data culture. So I think this, this center of excellence play a key role here. 
On the other hand, also business stakeholders, and especially the business stakeholders that are more data literate, that promote a better data culture can also play a key role here in, in closing this gap. I think what you're talking about there is is the organizational data silos, right? It's not that, right. that data silos are only... So like some people think that if we solve for the uh, technical level of data silos that we're all good. And it's like, nope, sorry, <laughs> you got to do all of it. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask about... Um, we, we talked about this in, in the, the pre-show as well of like what actually is an insight and, and how do you value... Um, apply value uh, to your analytics work? Like, how do you actually think about what is the value of, of that work? Um, I don't think we probably have enough time to get <laughs> to both of those. Which one do you think is is more important for people? Like, which one do you think is more fraught with, with? Uh, th- I mean, you talked, we talked a little bit about the insight, like get clear about what are you yeah. actually sharing with somebody? But like, how do you think about all this stuff you're talking about how do you think about applying that value to it? Like whichever one you want to dig into in, in our last, uh, you know, kind of five, seven minutes or whatever is, is uh, good with me, but which, which mm-hmm. one do you think is more important or which one do you think is either higher value or more risky if you don't get it right? Yeah. I would say the first one, because I believe it also feeds or is a critical input for the second one, right? How to measure the value. And here in terms of like, what is an insight? First of all, really like kudos to Brent Tykes. So I, I'm a really fan of Brent Tykes who developed this, this, this methodology or structure to how to define an insight. And that's the one I'm going to share because I, I, I think it's, it's the best definition I found out so far. And he defines an insight, like he says, an insight has to, to like based on three criteria. So first, an insight provides a shift in an understanding. So it does not point down to an observation or a, an irregularity, but also the reason that caused it. So a shift in understanding, something new and expected. The second is something unexpected, something the business was not previously aware of. Uh, so something that wasn't intentional, but is surprising. And tying back to our conversation, if you're just testing the usual suspects, you will never find something unexpected, right? And then the third one is it's relevant or it aligns with what your stakeholders or the business cares about. So it's basically aligned with the business goals, business North Star metrics. So in a nutshell, it's first a shift in understanding. Second, it's an unexpected reason. And third, it's aligned with, with the business goals and priorities. I typically like to add a fourth one. It's effectively communicated and on time so that it also drives the right action. And to your to, to your point before, like I think this also fits really well. So an insight is information plus why causes plus the so what, as you described before, right? Because just um, showing charts or graphs is just information. It's displaying information. It's displaying data. Then the diagnostic brings the why, and then the so what is connecting the dots with the business um, and making the actionable, communicating effectively to drive the right action. So I think this, your your approach is also a great way to put it, and I think complements also this this definition. Well, and it might be that that it's collaborative, collaboratively reached at at the so what, but again, we need to get specific in our, our in the way we communicate to right. what what is the handoff in that chain because so much of it is I hand you the information and the person's like okay so what's my so what. And it's like, okay, but like, like, let's go through and you can collaborate on that. I think so much of what we've done historically, and this is part of the reason for data mash emerging and things like that, is that the analytics team has been focused on these technical, you know, like the data E aspects instead of the business E aspects that are driven by the data. And that the more that you can get towards actually understanding what impact does this have? Why does this matter? Right. You know, so many times people internally um, get a little frustrated with me because I, 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 I clearly tell them at one point, this is what FYI means. And then they immediately drop that off. FYI is for your information. It right. means I am dropping a bit of incremental information that I thought would be valuable for you to integrate into your thought process. But it is that is the only point I am doing because I am not deep enough in your context to understand the why or the so what or, or does this matter. 
It's not even right. that I, I think that this matters. It's I think this could matter. And that like getting very specific around that, but people, when I try and explain that to them, it just, it immediately falls out of the back. You know, it goes in one ear out the other because, and I think this might be like the foundations of building your data culture for doing something like this, of being like, hey folks, we're going to be a lot more explicit about what we're trying to communicate, but we also need you to understand like, Sometimes people are going to bring something up and they're not going to know even the what they're like, this information looks kind of weird. Like, let's talk about if there is a what in here. Let's even just, is there something descriptive as to what's going on in here? Okay. We found a descriptive. Let's go to the why let's go to the, and let's balance that long-term, that short term. But like, it seems like a lot of what you're, you're, you're seeing of the, the companies that are being successful around this, they're flexible and they're highly communicative. That's right. the underlying thing that keeps coming back, I think, is that people understand the difference between these. And maybe like we even need this to be like stamped on here is a, a message about here is is this descriptive or is this diagnostic or is this predictive or is this prescriptive? And like that we stamp that on that and that we say, uh, you know, dashboard only to be used for descriptive purposes um, when you have this, here's the next step for, to get to diagnostic, right? Like that we make it so crystal clear that people don't forget because so much of what you're talking about is that just the, the, what it's never the, why the, 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 so what the, anything like that. So I think that's, uh, like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like the fix for this isn't necessarily the the people in the process or the process tools up front. It's the culture aspect that you have to like how if, if somebody's trying to figure out how to get to your ideal thing, like what is the pathway to that? I think that's a great way to kind of wrap things up because like how do I <laughs> you you told me I've got all these problems, like how do right. I actually fix it? Yeah, I, I mean, in a nutshell, I, I I agree with you. I think um, this is very much a cultural and and people journey. Now, having said this, culture and people are like the biggest levers in data analytics, but also the hardest to change. Right? It's what takes more time and it's more time consuming. So I think while this is mostly a cultural and people's change, tools and processes are enablers and can really accelerate this change. So, I mean, to, to kind of share some general recommendations on how, on how to progress on this diagnostic analytics journey, it really depends on the starting point, but I'm going to go with some gen- generic recommendations. So on the culture, it's really showing the value of drilling down to the why. And if the data culture is not there yet, I think most of the times it's up to the data analytics teams to show this value. So prioritize two or three use cases where you see a big potential start drilling to the why proactively and deliver these insights in, a, in an appropriate manner. And then you're going to start delivering this cultural change or prom- like promoting this cultural change. In the people's front, I'm, I'm going really high level, just some generic recommendation because of course it depends a lot on the starting point. But on the people, promote a close collaboration between business and data. So data mesh, embedding, all of this can help in this, in this way. And also, I think companies have to improve their data definition role. So... Some companies I see trying to make the data analysts like trusted business advisors, and this is one thing, and then diagnostic analytics should be under the data analysts. Other companies have different visions for their data roles and the, the, like the collaboration with the business. So it's, it's important to define accordingly. And as you mentioned, manage expectations. So what is each team delivering? Is the data team just enabling business teams to get the what, the why, and the so what? Or are the data teams doing the what and the why, and then trying to collaborate on the so what? Or are the data analysts doing the three and then they are trusted advisors? So really get clear on these. Then on tools and processes. So processes have clear processes and approaches to root cause analysis, diagnostic analytics. Unfortunately, I see many teams approaching this in a firefighting mode. So after a couple of weeks, business asks, oh, revenue has been going down for three weeks. What's going on? It's already too late to take an action. Teams already missed the window of opportunity. And then they get into firefighting mode and they approach in a very unstructured manner. It's bad for it's bad for data folks, bad for the business, big missed opportunities. And then tools, um, disclaimer here, because I, I work on a platform trying to, to solve this problem, but augmenting these workflows, so automating the repetitive parts 
and is showing very easily what are the drivers, the top factors showing this change through machine learning so that teams get insights faster and know what are the top drivers for this specific change is an enabler for all this transformation we've we've discussed. Okay. Well, and we've, we've talked about a whole bunch. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like, that you wish we had, or, you know, any way that you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode? No, I think like this was it in a nutshell. So it's drilling down to the why I think it's really valuable. I think that that's something we've covered today. And yeah, so that's it. I think we've, we've covered it. <laughs> awesome. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that want to follow up with you. Where's the, the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like them following up about? Yeah, so really quick, I've been exploring these topics on Towards Data Science, so you can find me there. For To exchange thoughts, I think the best place is on LinkedIn. I'm also very active there exploring these topics. And then if you're interested in learning more about the diagnostic analytics gap, our other companies are overcoming this gap and maximizing the business value. Feel free also to reach out to us at Causa. We've seen this problem multiple times, develop a solution to, to help solving this problem. So also happy to, to connect uh, and, and, and explore further. Yeah, and we'll we'll drop links to that in the show notes, so that way people can uh, quite easily get in, in, you know, follow up on all of that. But uh, well, again, Joao, thank you so much for spending the time here today, and as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Joao Sosa, director of growth at Causa AI. You can find a link to his LinkedIn and his Medium in the show notes, as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.